If you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're going to talk about love this morning. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about what? Anyone remember? Anyone here? Stretchy love, right? So kind of continuing with that theme, we're going to talk about love again this week, a standalone message, 1 John chapter 3. I'll read it for you. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we have a few minutes together now. We're so busy, so distracted, so much media taking in. Our minds are racing 100 miles an hour. I pray right now you would calm us, bring us into this moment. I pray your word would feed us now. We need fed. Pray you would nourish us. I pray you would revive us. Our hearts at one time were so on fire for you, and they've grown cold. I pray this morning you would do your work. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would make much of Jesus in everything that is said. And all God's people said, amen. Before we dig into this passage, I want to tell two, uh, three quick stories about different people. One is a biblical character, and two are more current figures. So three different cultures, three different backgrounds, three different uh, histories, yet all three figures have the same longing, same desires. First, we're going to go back to Genesis chapter 29. We'll have it on the screen for you. And I want to talk to you about someone named Leah. If you're familiar with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you might be familiar with Leah. So Leah had a sister. Her name's Rachel. So Rachel was the good-looking one. She's the one, when the guys came, they made a beeline to Rachel. Leah was the one that no one really looked at. Lived her entire life in her sister's shadow. Always wanting to be in the spotlight, but no one ever giving her any attention. One day, this handsome stud named Jacob comes to town, and he sees these two girls, and of course, he glances right over Leah, stares at Rachel. Now, Rachel's a 10, man. She's a dime. She's on fire. She's hot. And he moves in, gives his best pickup line. I don't know, maybe something uh, like, hey, girl, are you a speeding ticket? Because you got fine written all over you. This is, this is probably not on the tape, so I'll just go ahead and do another one. Um, I told my wife the other day, hey, girl, are you an orphanage? Because I want to give you some babies. <laughs> Woo, come on. That's good. That's in the Greek somewhere. So Jacob makes his move, and he, uh, he likes Rachel, and he moves in and goes to Rachel's dad, and he says, I want to marry Rachel. Now, for thousands of years, men who want to marry a girl typically go to the father and ask his permission. It's still a good tradition. All the dads in the room said, amen. Come on, church, amen. Fathers, if you have a daughter, you know you want that guy coming to you. Young guys, go to the dad before you ask for a hand in marriage. Still a good policy. And the dad says this, you got to work seven years for me. If you want Rachel, work seven years. And so that's a long time. Seven years is a long time. Hey, any husbands in the room? This morning, where are you at, husbands? Make some noise. 
I'm about to help you out right now. Lean over to your wife, say, hey, girl, I'd work seven years for you. Come on. We're saving marriages at Bethel Church. Come on, let's do it. So seven years, and Jacob knew, you know, sometimes if you want the prize, you got to go through the pain. If you want the trophy, sometimes you got to go through and put in the time. And so he did, seven years for Rachel. And they had some kind of party because the next day he wakes up after he got married to Rachel, Rachel, and realizes it's Leah. He married the wrong sister, and he didn't realize it until the next morning. And so we always hear that story thinking about Jacob and Rachel. Have you ever thought about it from Leah's perspective? Like, what's she thinking in that moment? Why would she go along with that? Did her dad coerce her? What's, what's her heart like in those moments? Why would she go along with that con on a guy? And in Genesis 29, we actually get a good insight into Leah into her heart, into what she's longing for. Verse 32, they got married. She starts uh, bringing Jacob children. Verse 32, and Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, for now my husband will love me. I so want his love. But now, now that I've given him a son, and sons are a big deal in that time, Now he'll love me. Verse 33, and she conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son. This is her third one now. And said, now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And you can just get the sense here with each birth. She's just crying out, Jacob, notice me. Love me, Jacob. I've always been in the shadow to Rachel. Love me, I've given you some sons. Haven't I earned your love now? And her life, as she progressed, would once again be in the shadow of Rachel as he eventually married Rachel. Every night, she'd go to bed knowing he was in the arms of her sister, the one whom she was always second tier to, always longing for love, alone, Leah, rejected Leah, Another character I want to talk about is a 20th century British figurative artist. His name is Francis Bacon. He is someone who at the time was very influential in the art field. A few years ago, 2013, his painting, The Three Stages of Lucian Freud, sold for $142 million, which was the largest grossing painting of all time at the moment. And so that's who we're talking about, an influential man, a wealthy man, a powerful man, uh, someone who was very well received in his field. And he was talking one time about his motivation. What drove him? What compelled him? And he said, I painted to be loved. And you could just sense the pain and vulnerability there. What's behind all that you've done, Francis? I want to be loved. Someone love me. Someone accept me. Someone like me. Last person to talk about is someone, if you're over 25, you probably know who he is. If you're under 25, you may know who he is, Howard Stern. And Howard Stern's a radio talk show host. He's now on America's Got Talent. He's known for being provocative, explicit, vulgar. That's kind of his brand. It's what he does. He's a huge radio figure. I don't recommend we listen to him. But um, at one time, he had 20 million listeners 
on his radio show. So he's kind of a big deal in his field. And I watched an interview of him a few years ago, and you would think Howard Stern, with his facade, with his brand, he would never open up and be vulnerable and share anything really deep or insightful. But in the interview, he sits in a car. They're riding in a car together. It's an old car. He comes and grabs a seat in the passenger seat, and he looks at the radio, and almost immediately, it clicks. And he says something along these lines. That right there, that radio. He said, when I was a boy... I would sit in the passenger seat, and my dad had a car just like this with a radio just like this. And I would try and talk to my dad. And my dad would say, shh, Howard, shh, and he would turn up the radio. I'm listening to the radio, Howard. And as a boy, Howard said, I remember thinking in that moment, if only I could get in that radio, my dad would listen to me. My dad would love me. Longing to be loved. Different cultures, different times. Why do we so long to be loved? And I want to propose because we were made to be loved. This is how we're made. And when we aren't loved, it feels messed up inside, doesn't it? The other day at work here, uh, I had a friend who's a good friend of mine, I love him, who gave me a good little jab, like a critical word, criticized me a little bit. And it was not even a big deal, just a little shot, you know. Yet all day, the rest of the day, I'm just thinking about it. I didn't, it didn't ruin my day or anything, but I thought about it all day. What, why did he say that? Why doesn't he like me? Why? Why did it consume me? Because I want to be liked. We want to be loved. We want to be awesome, and everyone to think we're awesome. And that takes us to our passage 1 John, think about the young girl with her boyfriend. She's got a good dad. Her dad's trained her well. Her mom's trained her well. Yet she goes farther with her boyfriend than she knows she should. What's driving that? Is it just physical? Of course not. She wants to be loved. She's saying, I'll give you whatever you want if you'll love me. The boy, the teenage boy who's with his friends just doing dumb Things that'll get you in trouble, get you in jail, ruin your career. Yet he goes along with it. He knows better. Why? Love me, guys. I want to be in. Accept me. Like me. Why, why do we take so many selfies? I mean, selfies aren't bad. Why are we so huge? Why is social media blown up? Of course, it's not a sin. Social media is not bad. But I'm talking about the heart behind why we do it. Why do I make a post, and if no one likes it, delete it? I want to be loved, and if it's not good, I'm going to take it out of there so they think I'm awesome. Longing to be loved. And 1 John chapter 3, John talks about love. Now, John, um, John's a disciple who calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's all kinds of identities we can have. I know a guy who's a Harley Davidson man. I know a woman who's a great mom. That's who she is. I'm a mom, you know. Who is John? His identity is I'm loved by Jesus. What a killer identity that is. We have personality-based identities, profession-based identities, performance-based identities. John's is I'm loved by Jesus. And so he has a lot to teach us about love. Ironically, not ironically, actually, he was known for being someone who could love people well because he could first understand he was loved. So 
1 John 3.16 again. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know, for so many of us, love is just this kind of idea. We think it's only maybe a feeling. John's telling us you can know love. You can leave this room in a few minutes with certainty as to what love is. How? By seeing that Jesus laid down his life for us. And I want to make a provocative statement right now. Um, so ears are perking up as we speak. I woke up a guy from the back, so shout out to you. Um, you know this longing that you have? I don't know if you felt it as I was talking and telling these illustrations. I certainly do. I might be alone in this. I don't know. But um, this longing that we have for love, for approval, for affection, thinking maybe my dad's approval will give it to me or my partner will give it to me, whatever, that emptiness inside, the love we are looking for is found in Jesus Christ. You think that's crazy? We're going to talk about it. And hopefully when you leave, you'll believe me. It's found in Jesus Christ. Understand he loves you so much he would die for you. So I got two quick points from this passage, and then we'll be out of here. First point, be loved. Be loved. Believe in his love. Rest in his love. Understand your love. So tap your neighbor on the shoulder. Say, friend, be loved. Be loved. Come on. Be loved. It sounds so simple. Yet it might be the most challenging thing you'll ever have to work through as a Christian to understand I am loved. Be loved. You are loved. Our challenge is to actually believe it. And there's so many reasons why it's hard for us to understand love, to understand unconditional love. I'm just going to highlight one. It's one word. Shame. Shame. We see everyone else's highlight reel, and we know our behind the scenes, don't we? We know the skeletons in our closet. We know the sin we've committed. Shame. We know our worst moments, and we think, how could God love me with this? If the church knew what I did, how would they let me in here? Shame. We become so insecure, feel so unworthy. God can't love us after this. You can't be a small group leader with what you've done. Shame. There's a movie uh, from a few years ago called Inception. It's one of my favorites, directed by Christopher Nolan. In the movie, um, a man named Browning is talking to Robert Fisher. And Fisher has just inherited a huge corporation. And he has issues with his dad. His dad's now gone. Browning is his dad's kind of confidant, and he's Robert's confidant. And they're having a conversation about Fisher's dad. So two men here talking. And Browning, the confidant, says to Fisher, your dad loves you, Robert, in his own way. And here's what Fisher says. Fisher replied, his own way? At the end, he called me to his deathbed. He could barely speak, but he took the trouble to tell me one last thing. He pulled me close, and I can only make out one word. Disappointed. And that concept, that idea, you're not enough, Robert. You'll never be able to fill my shoes, Robert. You're not a man like I am, Robert. That drove him, with, filled him with shame 
and insecurity and propel the rest of the movie, the narrative of the film. And maybe that's a voice, you know, I, I bet 20% of you maybe not, may not re- relate with that, but I bet 80% of us here understand what I'm talking about when I say that voice of the accuser in your life, yelling at you, throwing whatever he can at you, seeing what sticks. You're not good enough. You don't have what it takes. If your husband knew what you did, he'd leave you. That voice, the accuser of the brethren, they call him. You ever hear it? He yells at us all the time. And you know, in the New Testament, we read about Jesus, who at his baptism, he comes out of the water, the spirit descends like a dove, and a voice from heaven that's so loud and powerful proclaims to everyone, Jesus, you're my beloved, and I love you, and you're in, and I accept you. It's a loud voice, right? And that's what we want. I think, God, I hear this voice of the accuser. Overpower him with your voice. Tell me you love me. Tell me I'm okay. Remind me that you've carried my shame. But we read the Bible, and it talks about what? A still, small voice. A quiet voice. Why? Why can't it be a loud, booming voice to drown out the accuser as, you know, we're trying to move forward in our life. God wants us to go somewhere, and the accuser is just throwing everything at us to try and knock us down. Why a still, small voice, God? What if... God speaks to us in a still, small voice because he's near. He's near. And we have to sometimes clear our minds, clear our hearts of the clutter to hear it, to know he's with us. And he says to you in his word and through the proclamation of his gospel, I love you. Listen to me. Understand, look at my son dying for you and know that I love you. We have a hard time being loved because of our shame, but when we look to the cross, we see that Christ's selfless sacrifice removes our shame. We feel so exposed. Shame is exposure. We feel so exposed. And the gospel is God in Christ Jesus giving you his robe of righteousness saying, now move forward with boldness. Come boldly to me. You're in. You're adopted. Walk through those doors, an adopted son or daughter of Christ. Welcome to the table. He has removed our shame, carried our shame. Let's go back to our passage, 1 John 3, 16. He talks about knowing love. How can we know he loves us? that he laid down his life for us. And I just want to break this down for a few minutes. Our love is revealed through our priorities. What I prioritize reveals to you what I love. So if I choose to go on hunting trips, fishing trips, to work late every night and never go to my son's soccer game, it reveals to him and to everyone else who sees by my priorities what I really love, which is myself. Make sense? I want to show some stuff on the screen. Uh, I have some options for you, and I need some participation from the class. You guys ready? All right, I have on the screen a Jeep, a house, computer, family, shirt. All these things are in my life. Um, From that list, I need you to help me count down from most important to me to least important to me what I value most, all right? So what would be number one on that list? If there's a fire, if I can only save one thing, what would it be? Family, yes. What about number two? What do you think? 
House, I heard house, that's correct. Number three, would it be my computer, Jeep, or shirt? Jeep, correct. And then four, my shirt, no? She's like, no, no, not that shirt. Um, <laughs> and then five, shirt. So you can know what I love, right, based on what I prioritize. That all makes sense? Let's say tonight, my wife and I go out to Cooper's Hawk to eat dinner. In celebration of the fact that I didn't totally bomb today, we go out, you know, and she buys me a steak or whatever. And afterwards, a guy pulls a gun on us, and he pulls the trigger. And in that moment, I dive like Batman in front of her and take the bullet, right? What am I saying in that moment? I value your life more than my own life. I'm prioritizing you over me. That's love, right? Sacrifice, self-giving for the good and joy of someone else. It's more than just a feeling. So our love is revealed by our priorities. That makes sense? We're going somewhere, so hang on. Here we go. You ready? In the same way, God's love is revealed by his priorities. Now here's the deal. This is going to blow some minds. Blew mine. And it ministered to me when I saw this. Jesus had a choice. Your life or his? And he prioritized you. He gave himself for you. You know he loves you. Why? Why does John say? Because he gave his life for us. He prioritized us. That's the truth that for thousands of years has been shaking the world. Jesus loves us. God loves us. Sinners, shame-filled rejectors of God. He loves us and died for us. That doesn't make sense, but that's the beauty of the gospel. He loves us. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise for his love for us in Christ? That's an amazing truth. If you allow it to and be loved, believe it, it can flow into your deepest pains, deepest insecurities. This love you're looking for in that boy will totally let you down. I mean, it's great. He's awesome. But he's not going to fill what you're craving. That makes sense? It's found in the love of God for you, prioritized and displayed and demonstrated on the cross. Norman Nagel once said, after Calvary, we cannot doubt God's love. Cannot doubt it. Challenge for us is to be loved. Believe it. You're far worse off than you think you are. No one's really righteous here. But in Christ Jesus, we're far more loved than we ever could have imagined. Be loved. And number two, I won't stay here long because Pastor Steve hit this last week so well. Love. Be loved. Love. So be loved is be filled with God's love. Understand he loves you. Let that overflow from you. You know, a lot of books will tell you with marriage, um, that person needs to fill your love tank. It's not true. She can't fill your love tank. It's only going to disappoint you. He can't satisfy what you're looking for. He'll only disappoint you. What we need is to be charged and filled with this love and to love our spouses out of that overflow, to love our kids out of that overflow, to love our neighbors out of that overflow. That makes sense? If I'm looking to my wife to fill my love tank, that's a transaction. I'll be good to you as long as you're good to me and you fill me up. Love is self-giving, and it only comes when we're already overflowing with love 
from God in Christ Jesus. So we go in the morning or at night at church, in our small groups, whatever, we get filled. And from that, we love. Not to take. When you're already full, you have no room to take. You're there to give. Whether they send you a thank you note or not, we give. Whether they respond well or not, we can give. Love produces love. This love of God is what produces love for others. I heard a pastor once say, you can't give what you never got. First, we need to got it. We need to get it. And from that, give. We try and love people detached from Jesus. Good luck. We're seeing the effects of that all around us. We see it in our own heart, don't we? This could transform the marriages of this church, including mine, if I actually believed it. I think God might use this word to save a marriage in this room. Looking to him, Leah, to fill you up. Love that you need, love that you seek is here in Christ Jesus. God has declared you an object of his love, and now he calls you to be an agent of his love. And here's the challenge, and I've been thinking about this uh, for the last two weeks as I've been preparing for this message. Here's the deal. Here's the cold, hard facts. If we can't learn to love messed up and broken people, we're going to find ourselves one day with nobody to love because everyone is messed up. You get to know anyone, they're going to disappoint you. So if we're looking to them to satisfy, good luck. I have been down that road. I can testify, and a lot of you could stand with me and testify. Don't do it. Don't leave your spouse looking for this when you have it here already. It's yours. It's mine. The challenge is to be loved. Sounds so simple, right? Yet it's so hard because we don't have the right perspective on things. We're not seeing it through the right lens. Jacob's wife, Leah, so badly wanted his approval. Love me, Jacob. I've given you all these sons. Accept me. Look at me. Quit looking at at Rachel. Look at me. Love me. Fill me up. Fill my love tank. But if only Leah could see what we now can see. Leah ended up having another son. His name is Judah. Verse 35 of Genesis 29. And she conceived again and bore a son. And she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. I want to fast forward about 1,700 years to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. It's a chapter that lays out the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Savior of the world, our hope, the reason why we are here this morning, a chapter we oftentimes plow through on our way to chapter 2. I want to read Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 for you. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah. Wait a minute. You know, Rachel had some sons. Joseph was a pretty good guy from Rachel. How'd Judah get in here? This is Leah's Judah is in the lineage of Christ. Christ came from the line of Leah, unloved Leah, rejected Leah, the Leah that no one wanted. 
The Leah that wasn't as attractive, that never felt love, that lived her entire life craving love, what she didn't realize all along, God had a plan. I see you, Leah. I see you. No, I have a purpose for your pain, a plan for your pain. All I ask is to see it from a right perspective. Imagine if we could go back in time, get in the time machine, hop back then. Couldn't we encourage her? Like, it's all right. God's got you. Show her Matthew 1. You don't understand, Leah. You long for love from Jacob. He's never going to give you what you need. But what you need is yours. You just got to believe it. You need the perspective to see it clearly. You know what Leah really needed all those years ago? She needed a gospel preacher to stand before her and declare over her, Leah, in your pain, in your woundedness, in your blindedness, understand God loves you. He sees you, Leah. There's a lot of Leahs in this room, a lot of hurting people, longing for love, looking for it from their parent, from their profession, from their popularity, from their possessions. The love we are looking for is found in a person, Jesus Christ. And our call, our challenge, we have what Leah never had. You know what it is? Gospel clarity. God's love wasn't just declared to her, it was to us, it's been demonstrated to us. We can see it. We can see it. So what we need, and as you leave this week, pray, God, in my woundedness, in my pain, help me understand God, give me clarity. Give me the right lens by which to see these longings. What we need is a gospel lens. It's a bloody, messy lens. But by that, we can see this is what I'm looking for. This is a love my heart yearns for. The love that drove Leah, that motivated Francis Bacon, that wounded Howard Stern, that wounds us, that drives us, that love, what you're looking for is yours already. Our call, my call, is every day, believe it. Believe in his love. Be loved. And from that, overflow love.